Bay. Pastor Andy is in Malaysia today, uh, kind of traveling around with a group of other pastors to so check out, visit some church leaders out there. So pray for him. We are in a series called Switch, where we're basically talking about some paradigm shifts that we make that can radically transform our lives. So if you missed it last week, you might want to pick up a, a CD of the message or listen to it online. But it's a, it's an, a, basically the idea is this, that often we think that we change our lives by changing the way that we act. But really, if we change the way that we think first, then everything else follows. So in the series, we're basically talking about paradigm shifts that can impact our lives. It's a change of thinking perspective that can take us from lost living to purpose living, from chaos to order, from emptiness to fulfilled, from darkness to light. And today's topic is holiness. Now, when you think of holiness, there's usually some kind of picture that comes to your mind. In fact, I've been asking people all week. We asked people on Facebook, and I got all kinds of responses. But when you think of holy, what comes to mind? Picture that in your mind right now. Now, it might be that you have the picture of a halo that comes to your mind. So somebody that's holy might kind of be, you visualize a halo maybe around them. Maybe you have the picture of a saint that comes to your mind. Maybe you grew up Catholic or another type of Orthodox religion and you think of saints when you think of holiness. Maybe it's angels and you have this picture with an angel with open wings and, and just basically uh, flying out and he's like a holy angel to you. Maybe it's God on a throne or God being worshipped in, in majesty and with these light rays around them and, and kind of floating up in the skies or the clouds. Maybe you think of a person, maybe like Mother Teresa who was a person that did much good on the earth and that's what defines holiness in your mind. Maybe it's a song or maybe it's another type of person like Barack Obama or something like that that comes to your mind. I don't know. That was like a picture they found of him uh, earlier that actually had the halos, not photoshopped. Uh, just kidding. That was, that was a joke. Um, but everyone here has somebody that comes to mind when they think of halo or something, or not halo, of holiness. Maybe a picture, maybe a person, maybe a spiritual concept, but there's something that comes to mind. And when you think of the opposite of holy, there are also, also images or words that come to mind. In fact, can somebody sp just shoot out a word? What do you think of the opposite of holy? What do you think of? Darkness, filth, evil, right? All of these type of words come to mind. When we think of if it's not holy, it must be sinful or evil or from the devil or some kind of dirty word like that. The problem is this, that holiness is no longer a practical concept in our minds. It's not something we know how to relay on a personal, individual, day-to-day -day type of basis. In fact, maybe some of you heard this verse growing up or this concept that, that First Peter talks about in chapter 1, verse 13. It says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. For he himself said, you must be holy because I am holy. Well, the problem is if we think of holiness as God like sitting on a throne with angels around him, worshiping him, and light rays coming out of him, then what does that mean to us? Like, does that mean that I need to like have my kids and my wife like bow before me and worship me and like put flashlights around me? You know, what, what does that mean on a practical basis? If God is holy, he says, be holy as I'm holy. If our picture of holiness is this type of picture, this religious type of picture in a sense, 
then how is it that we can apply that to our lives? And I believe that's the part of the reason why most of us get lost in the concept of pursuing holiness. And the goal today is to give you a new way of thinking of holiness. In fact, I've been praying that after today, you will never see the word holy or holiness the same anymore. That it will it'll move from being a religious, uh, halo, saint type of word to you to being a practical, uh, everyday type of word in your life and concept in your life. So in fact, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open to Leviticus chapter 10. And I think we're still missing some house lights a little bit, if you can fix that. Leviticus chapter 10. Most of the time, we avoid the, word, or the book of Leviticus and people will kind of run from it because it's all these rules and these weird things going on inside of it. But today, I want to actually teach you uh, from the book. And I hope that after today, it'll change your perspective on the book of Leviticus. So maybe it'll become your favorite book. Well, maybe we won't go that far, but at least you'll like it after this. So it goes like this. We're, ta- it's, uh, we're talking about Aaron and his brother Moses. Uh, and it starts like this, verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me, I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elzaphan, Aaron's cousins, and, and the sons of Aaron's uncle Uzziel. And he said to them, Come forward and carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward and picked them up by their garments and carried them out of the camp just as Moses commanded them. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die, and the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn because of the Lord's fury destruction of Nadab and Abihu. But you must not leave the entrance of the tabernacle or you will die, for you've been anointed with the Lord's anointing oil. So they did as, the, as Moses commanded or as, yeah, as Moses commanded. So then it finishes like this. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed from generation to generation. You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. So this is kind of confusing passage, but let me just give you a little bit of context of what was happening uh, at this point in time. Aaron was like the high priest. He was Moses' brother. He was a spokesman for God in his generation. He basically was the guy who came uh, and represented the pe- or God to the people and the people to God. So he would go into the tabernacle, which was the place of worship, and God had given them all these ways of worshiping him. Like if you want this type of thing to happen in your life, this is the offering that you provide, you, you provide for me. There's all these different regulations, and, and the high priest was basically in charge of worshiping in the way that God wanted to be worshiped. Now, right before chapter 10, we see that Moses and Aaron had put a, a sacrifice on the altar, and it says that they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and then fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed this burnt offering that Aaron had put on the altar. And then it says that, 
It says, fire blazed forth and consumed them. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down to the ground. So Aaron came and he did the thing that God had asked him to do, which is provide, get, put an offering on a, a, some kind of animal on his altar. And then the fire of God blazed in and consumed this sacrifice, this offering before him. The people were filled with joy. They shouted and they bowed down and worshiped God. Now Aaron's sons probably were watching. And they thought, wow, that was kind of cool what daddy did. Let's see if we can do something cool too. They were priests in training, right, at, the, at, the, at this sanctuary or the tabernacle. So they come to the, the, the tabernacle and they put some coals of fire in the incense burners. And it says that they, they disobeyed God by doing this. This is not the type of worship that God had asked them to participate in. They kind of made up their own way of worshiping. So they put these coals, and it literally says, instead of God's fire consuming the offering, it consumed the offerer. The two brothers literally got burned to death. And then Moses comes to Aaron, the dad, the dad of the two brothers, and says, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my, hol my holiness to those who come near me, or through those who come near me. I will display my glory to all the people. He literally connected what happened to the holiness of God, and Aaron was made silent. Now, think, think of this. If you come to church one Sunday, and you have your kids with you, and they're worshiping God, and then they decide to worship God in their own way. I know God wanted me to sing this song. I'm going to sing this song. And then fire blazed forth from this stage and consumed your kids I don't know if you would be silent. You'd probably be like, holy junk, I'm not coming to this church anymore. You know, like you'd say, you'd, you'd like run away or basically, I don't know. I think we, some of us would be speechless. Some of us would run away. Some of us would think, what is wrong with me because I need to align that with God's will now so we don't get consumed. But something was happening to Aaron because he was just completely silent. And maybe it was a sense of confusion because when you look at what's happening, it's a little confusing unless you understand what God is trying to do. In fact, if you go all the way to verse 10, which is the last verse of the passage we just read, he basically explains what's happening here. And he says this verse is very important. It's in your notes. I want you to underline. It's like right at the end of the text that's printed on your notes. It says, you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common. You must distinguish between what is common and what is sacred or holy. There must be a distinguishment between the two. This is, what, this is why it seems so confusing to us until you understand this principle that it's not that God was striking them because they were worshiping an idol or another God or they did some kind of filthy, corrupt, sinful, evil act. In fact, they were worshiping God, right? They came to the tabernacle to worship God, the, the same God that their dad presented the offering at the altar for. But this time, God consumed them instead of the offering. Their mistake was not that they were worshiping some other God. Their mistake is that they were treating God as common. They didn't know how to differentiate between the two. Those who come close cannot treat me as common, God said. He was trying to teach them that when something is holy, it cannot be treated as common. And though we often think of the opposite of holiness as evil, and, and sinful. Really, the biblical definition of the opposite of holiness is this little word called whole, or C-H-O-L, that means common. Common is the opposite of holy. And all they did is they treated God as common. The opposite of that now, when we think of the word holy, 
is not necessarily that we ought to have halos around our heads or we, ought, we have to live perfect lives or we have to you know, do all this good stuff, which is all good to do, but the real definition of holy is that is simply to be uncommon. And I want you to write this down, this definition. To be holy is to be uncommon, not just for any reason, but because of a touch from God and a separation for his use. It's to be made uncommon because you were touched by God and you were separated for his use. It's to think, to act, to live uncommon, different lives because we've come near to God, we've touched God, God's touched us, and then he's made us uncommon as we separated ourselves for his use. And what God was saying is that people that come near to him cannot treat him like any other thing in their lives. You don't worship the way you want to worship. You don't just treat me like you would treat any other God. I know other gods are worshiped this way, and in their day, people literally would come to any altar and worship any God in the way that they wanted. You made up your own worship, but God wanted to be distinct and different. He wanted to teach him that he cannot be treated as common. In fact, many of you have these different utensils in your house. Some of them are made out of wood, some made out of silver or, or any type of other metal, and you use it differently depending on what it's made out of, right? The more common material you use for everyday type of use, but then on special occasions or for special uses, you, you designate a specific utensil to be used. If it's extra hot stuff, you don't want to use plastic. If it's whatever it is, there's a distinct use for sp- specific objects. Now, in our definition of common, which one of these would be, or of holy, which one of, of this would be holy? The metal one, right? So the metal one's holy, and that's really what the scriptures are, teach us. In 2 Timothy verse 2, verse 20, it says this, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made out of gold and silver. Others are made out of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. Then he says, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be made ready for the master to use you for every good work. What he was teaching them is that if you are touched by God, if you're separated from him, you won't just be like any other common thing out there with no influence, with no potential. You will be made uncommon by God himself. He's going to say, this is the one I want to use because it's been separated by me. It's been touched by me. And God was trying to teach the people that they must be a distinguished people because he is a distinguished type of God. There is none like him. But their distinguishment had to come from God himself. In fact, that's what the whole book of Leviticus was about. So now when you read Leviticus, you understand God wasn't just trying to give them all these rules and do's and don'ts. What he was trying to do is this. He was trying to shape a people that was different, uncommon. He wanted them to to be shaped by his words, not their environment. So he gave them all these sets of ways of living. And he said, follow these ways because I'm making you a distinct people because I want you to represent me to the world, to show the world that I am no common thing, that I am an uncommon, holy God set apart from the rest. So all of these regulations, these ways of worship are just to separate you from the common ways of thinking in your day. But see, there are lots of uncommon people that are just plain uncommon, weird, not because they were touched by God. You might know some of those, right? They might be in your household, they're standing next to you, don't, don't point at them. But there are lots of uncommon people that are uncommon because of their religion, first of all. Whether it's Christianity or anything else, there are many people that are weird because of religious reasons, 
not because they were touched by God or they've come near to God or they've been separated by God, but just because of their religion. There are people that are uncommon because of addictions that made them strange. There are people who are uncommon because they just want to be different. There are people that are uncommon because of their style of music and the crowd they hang out with, and that's not the uncommon that God's referring to. This uncommon is the uncommon that that happens to us when we approach God and we're touched by him and we're separated for his use. And all throughout the scriptures, we see this pattern. Whatever was touched by God and separated for his use became holy. Let me walk you through some examples. You can write these down if if you'd like to in your notes. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. He touched the seventh day, and it, for thousands of years now, all of humanity has worked in a seven-day seven rhythm. Six days for common, ordinary stuff, one day set apart for uncommon purposes. He touched it, and it became a holy day. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, Moses is approaching his burning bush. You might have heard the story. And, and God says, do not come any closer, the Lord, Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. God had come and touched this bush, and even the ground became holy. He says, Moses, I know that you walk on every other ground like it's common ground, but this ground is not common because I've touched it. I've separated this space for my use. I'm about to speak to you through it. Take off your sandals. It's no longer ground. It is holy ground. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God said to Israel, you, must be my, you will be my kingdom of priests, a holy nation. There are many nations on this earth, and they, they're all great, and it doesn't mean you're any better or worse, but I'm just picking you for my use. I'm setting you apart. I'm going to touch this nation because I want you to be the ones from whom all of my message and my love spreads to the rest of the world. So you ought to be a holy, set-apart, uncommon nation. And all throughout the scriptures, when something was touched and separated for God's use, it became holy. You see the temple. There are many temples in their day, but there's one temple that God said, I'm going to use this temple. I'm going to dwell and touch this temple it's considered it's known to be the holy temple you see the city right there are many cities on the earth but one city he says i'm going to set i'm going to set the city apart i'm going to use this city to be the initial place where all of my message will spread throughout the earth and that city became the holy city of what jerusalem it's the holy city there are the scriptures there are many books and many letters written but there's a set of these letters and, and books that are called the scriptures that became the holy scriptures that God said, I, I will touch this. My presence will be in it and I'm going to use it for my purposes. It became known as the holy scriptures. And then there's God's name. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 22, there's a very strong warning. It says, you must faithfully keep all my commands by obeying them for I am the Lord. Do not treat my holy name as common and ordinary. It must be treated as holy by my people. It is I, the Lord, who makes you holy. My name is not like any other name. My name is above every name. It's the only name that God gives us to use to heal people, to bring salvation, to restore. It's a name that is powerful, that even demonic forces tremble at this name. In fact, most of us grew up, or you've heard before, the Lord's Prayer. But we know it in a religious type of way often and and not in a practical type of way. And when it says, hallowed be your name, all that is saying is this. In fact, in a modern translation, it says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That's all it is. God, will your name, may your name be kept uncommon from every other name in our lips. 
That's why it became known as a bad practice to use God's name in vain because this name stands above every other name. It's been made a holy name. So I want to give you a couple practical practices in the exercise of bringing holiness to our lives. So if you have your notes, bring out your pen. I want you to write this down. Number one, these are two uncommon practices. Number one is it's very simple. Bring everything before God. To bring everything before him, that's where the touch comes in, right? It's when we are refuse to hide anything from our God. In fact, if you have kids, you understand this. That whatever your kids want to hide from you are the things that they know you don't approve of, right? So this week I was cooking in the kitchen and my, my daughter came out from the, play, from the backyard. She says, Daddy, can I, can, I want to go upstairs. And I said, okay, what are you, you going to do upstairs? Because there's no one up there, so I wanted her to stay down. And she said, I can't tell you. I was like, well, I need to know, Lily, why do you want to go upstairs? She goes, it's a secret, Daddy. I don't want to tell you. And I'm like, no, Lily, I'm sorry. If you want to go upstairs, you need to tell Daddy what it's for. She said, well, Daddy, it's, it's a surprise. It's a secret. I, I just don't want to tell you. And I said, can't go upstairs if you don't tell me. And I turned around kept cooking. And then I turned back around, and she's gone. And I'm like, there's no way that my child disobeyed me. I'm a pastor. They don't, just kidding. I wish it was like that. So, you know, I, I really was like, where is she? And so I went upstairs very quietly, and I swung open her door, and she goes, ah, like that. And, and I, I caught her doing something that I had told her not to do. But you see, we're like that with God. There are certain things that we're like, God, you can have this part of me, but there is a part of me that I just don't want to talk about. I don't want to bring before you this part of my life. I'll give you my Sunday, but I'm not going to give you my Monday at work. I'm going to give you, you know, a little bit of, of my, my time here, but I don't want to give you all of my attention. I don't want to mold my life about, around your ways. God, I want to give you my, my clothes to the poor, and I want to help a little bit here, but you can't have my wallet. God, I want you to bless my marriage, but I, I don't want you to take away my pornography that's ruining my marriage. God, I want you to, to be in my life and bless my career, but I, I don't want you to really know this part of my business is unethical. God, I, I want part of you, but I don't want all of you in me because of what it might mean to me, which is the mistake that Aaron's sons made. They said, God is God. He's common. He's like everyone else. I'm going to worship him the way I want to, the limitations that I place on it. If he says this, I just want to, I'll do it kind of like that, but a little bit more like this. Don't treat God's word with indifference is the principle. Bring everything before him for his touch. The second practice that is life-giving in terms of pro producing holiness in us is to commit everything for his use that's the separation part, right? Everything that's touched by him, separated by him, becomes holy in his eyes. We have a family practice in our home where everything that we have, that we acquire, that we buy, whatever that's significant, we present back to God and we commit it to him. So well, every apartment and house we've ever lived in, the first day we're there, our family gets on our knees or holds hands in the living room and say, God, we acknowledge this is yours. We want you to use it. Do whatever you want with it. We'll have whatever, whoever you want to be over it, we'll use it for you. This is, for, this is your place. When we buy a, a, a car, first thing we do, we sit in the car, God, we give this back to you. This is yours. Use it for your kingdom so anyone who needs it can borrow it. This is yours, not mine. God, when we had our kids, Right, God, we present these kids are a gift to us. We acknowledge that we present them back to you. We, our desire is that they would be, be used for your kingdom. 
that they would grow up to serve you and know you, to present, to commit everything for his use. And this is the key truth I want you to remember, that God's grace falls on what is holy. Write this down. God's grace falls on what is holy. His favor, his presence falls and dwells in, in, in those things that are made holy. This is what that means. He blesses those things that are made holy. A lot of times people come, why isn't God blessing my marriage? And why isn't God blessing my, my kids and my parenting and my finances? Well, have you given it all to him? Has it been made holy? Has, has it been presented for his touch? Has it been approved by him? Has it come to be separated for his use? See, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the very beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12.14, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life. So work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So look, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive what? The grace of God. That there is a grace available to those things that are made holy. That's why God said, if you want to, in the old days, if you want to experience me, you go to the holy temple. It's set apart for my use. My presence dwells in there. If you, this, the, the city, the, all, all the things that are holy, those are centers of the presence and the grace of God. When he calls us to be holy, it's the same thing. He's basically saying, there's a grace I want to flow through your life when you are made holy. And all throughout the scriptures, there are these qualifications or these characteristics that define people who live this type of life of holiness. They, were ex they had extreme reverence for the word of God. What God said happened. They were strangely guided by the Spirit's promptings, even to do weird things that, that common people would say, what in the world are you doing? But it would produce much fruit for God's kingdom. They had high regard for personal purity. They were known for their deep love and affection. In the scriptures, these people were the sacrificial servants. In fact, when I was preparing this, I kept thinking of even in our church here, the, all these people that came to mind when I think, who are the people that live uncommon lives? And there's so many that came to mind. And, and you know, often you, you see all the, the young crew here on the stage, you think this church is really young, and that's all they, they're the ones that make things happen. But, you know, there's a group of more mature folks who are so fully committed to Jesus and his church that really all of this has been built upon their shoulders as well. I, I think of people like St Steve and Kathy Sorrells and Stephen M. Wardiger and Ellen and Cindy and several of these people who could be relaxing at home and doing you know, whatever they want, but they, they serve sacrificially. They mentor our leaders. They provide wisdom. They pray for us like no one else prays for us. They become like our parents here. They, they, they've painted almost every wall in this building. They've touched almost everything we've done. When we do big events to serve the community, they're, they're first ones to volunteer they run teams these are the people who could be doing anything they want that like, like common people do but they've chosen because of their touch of God and their separation for his use to live an uncommon holy life I think of Jamie and Kelly a, a young couple that just came to faith in Jesus and it's a he's a hip-hop dancer and uh, on fire for for God and I, I a couple weeks ago he was working all week long painting all of our awnings outside and the the walls and in the hot sun and I came up to Jamie and I said Jamie I mean, man, thank you for doing this. Maybe you should take a break, you know, but I just want to let you know, thank you. This is so awesome. And he says, you don't need to thank me. I owe my life to this church and this, oh my God. So uncommon. Took off work to come serve and paint awnings. 
I think of a, a young couple named Casey and Stacy who are interning here with us this summer at South Bay, and, and I, hearing their story this, this past week and their journey of coming to Christ. They were living together and uh, in, in, in sexually active before marriage, and they felt God very clearly saying in Scripture that you ought to honor marriage by living a life of purity and abstaining from sexual activity till then, which is totally uncommon in our day. But they heard the Word of God, and they responded because of their relationship with Him. They moved out, and they're paying rent on an apartment that no one lives in for the sake of their purity and honoring the Word of God to receive God's grace in their marriage. So uncommon. I think of Miss Betty, who none of you probably know, but... You're probably holding the program that she folded with her hands. And, and almost every t- detail of what we do here is touched by this woman who could be watching soap operas at home every day like most of their common people might do. But she chooses to sacrificially serve over and over and over again, made uncommon because they came near to God and were touched by God and separated for his use. We need more uncommon singles who live with integrity and purity, more uncommon marriages normal common marriages don't end well if you don't know yet you know we need more that are touched by god and committed to his use more uncommon moms and dads that prioritize kids over work isaiah 8 13 says make the lord of heaven's armies holy in your life don't treat him like he's common make him holy uncommon he gets most of the time most of the attention he molds our thinking he is the one that we do all of this for and as the band comes up i just want to ask you this you know the most important decision that you and i can ever come to in life it's whether or not we will treat god as holy in fact that's where our holiness begins when we understand that because we are sinful and we are broken and we have made mistakes and we've corrupted our lives that we are we deserve death that's the penalty for our sin but jesus in his grace came and offered himself to take our place to take that very penalty that we deserve upon himself and his blood became the payment for our wrongdoing and so his grace is now offered to those of us who make ourselves fully his and it is for the common people and that's the beauty of it all. He welcomes all people in their commonness. But as they are touched by Him, and as they separate themselves for His use, they are made holy. And I want you to close your eyes with me and just think about this. Where are you with this? In fact, I believe that most of us haven't fully given ourselves to God because He's just too small in our minds. And maybe today is the day that you're going to declare, God, I want you to be holy in my life. You see, God is not a common thing. He is unequaled. He's on a different level. His ways are higher than our ways. His plans are higher than our plans. He is holy. He is incomparable, unparalleled, matchless, second to none in a class of his own unequal unrivaled unsurpassable supreme top best singular unique and perfect he is holy he is greater and better and set apart he cannot be conquered or intimidated or subdued or beat or triumphed over overcome overwhelmed overpowered or overthrown because he is holy he's not like us 
his greatness, it's beyond discovery. His glory is brighter, it's consuming, it's piercing. His name is above every name. It's the only name that expels demons, that heals the sick, that saves our soul, that saved my soul. He's in the name that can shake the foundations of the earth. He is holy. And the scriptures say, that angels encircle around his throne day after day and night after night and they sing holy 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 is the lord god almighty not just tens or twenties or hundreds but thousands upon thousands with thundering voices and all they can say is holy 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 there is none like you will you declare that with us 